Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. I'm here today to discuss a brand new book out by Routledge titled Flipped Learning in Physical Education, Opportunities and Applications. Um, it's co-authored by Oba Asrili, Chad Killian, and Julia Sargent. And we are fortunate to have all three on today to discuss this book. So I'm gonna go around and introduce each of the authors just so listeners can kind of match the voice with the name. Um, so leading off, Ove Osterli, an associate professor in physical education at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology in beautiful Trondheim, Norway. Welcome, Ove. Yeah, thank you for having us on, a, on your podcast. Very always a pleasure sharing our, our work that we've done together. So I'm really uh, happy to be here and, and excited to discuss the book with you. Awesome. And welcome back. Um, also, welcome back, Chad Killian, assistant professor now at the University of New Hampshire, U.S. Uh, welcome, Chad. Update in beautiful Durham as well. Uh, good to be back with you guys. Excited to talk about the book. Awesome. And finally, uh, Julia Sargent, back again for another podcast, um, a lecturer at the Open University in the U.K. Welcome, Julia. Thanks, Risto. Yeah, I think this is third time so yep. so yeah it's great to be back and talking about the book this time so very excited to be here great so again as as mentioned all three of you have been on before but individually so the first question i have just in general is how did the three of you end up connecting and authoring um on this book yeah uh i did my 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 doctoral thesis the uh, some years ago, and uh, the the subject on that work were flipped learning in physical education. So, just after defending the thesis, I saw this. Well, it wasn't like an ad, but Ash just announced that he they were looking for more titles for this Google series on pedagogies in, in physical education sports. So I thought right away I should just spin off and just continue some of my work with the thesis and just like in a book format. So I wrote him and asked if he, if they were like into the idea of writing a book mm -hmm. on that topic. And then he, yeah, and he said yes. And he also mentioned that there have been some other guys like uh, having the same idea. So I immediately thought I should also ask some more guys to, to join in uh, because I realized just writing a book for myself wouldn't be the best thing to do more because of time or, or quality. So I, mm -hmm. first I, I asked Julia because she were on the international committee, uh, just slaughtering my dissertation, why I see it. So I thought it would be like a really good, <laughs> uh, partner to team up with her. And, and then we had a chat and we said, yeah, this is like a really nice idea. And we both had that in mind as well. And said, I met back in the ASAP conference in Wyoming in 2016, we had we just presented on the same topic because we had we had published on the same a chapter in the same book that we didn't realize that until we just saw each other uh, presentations on the conference and then we we had a chat and we didn't do we didn't have much contact after that but then we we made contact to chat and he was also into the idea and also had been thinking about writing this book so I think the three of us just individually had had the same thought and and by a bit of coincidence we we got together and, and wrote 
they took the camera. And just then piecing together the time zones of everybody having the group meetings. So um, feel you on that. And ICEP, shout out to ICEP, bringing the world world together. Um, so this would have been good for your AR, AI stuff. Connect. I know, right? International. Uh, so let me, let me ask, maybe Julie, you can, uh, tackle this. Can you explain what flipped learning is? I know through the book, you go through this idea of what flipped learning isn't and what we kind of think it might be, but it isn't. And then what it is in the classroom. And then you actually create a little bit of a um, discussion at, at the end of the book of what you think that the new definition of flipped learning for physical education can be. So um, just to kind of orient us about what this is, if people don't know. Yeah, so I think, I think first, first we should say that it, it doesn't have a discipline or subject home. So flipped learning in general is used um, across higher education, but also in, in different sectors. And so um, part of the premise for us us writing the book was that we wanted to explore the approach specifically for physical education and how it was applied in that context. But if we take flipped learning quite generally, uh, it's, it's a pedagogical approach that's used by educators that occurs before and during face-to-face -face classes. Um, and it often uses asynch asynchronous and often digital instruction to prime and inform student understanding. So it takes into account uh, the different elements or all the sites, let's say, of, of learning. So we have the school, the home, and also online technology, which kind of brings those elements together. So the, the types of learning that takes place in these different environments is um, somewhat organized and structured in a flipped learning approach, whereas you have more of the collaborative, um, taught mechanisms in the classroom space but more of the independent learning um, that that takes place in the home environment so there are lots of different um, mechanisms that we talk about in the book in in terms of what can be used in, in which context um, and when we when we talk about it within physical education and um, I think one of the key premises for us is that learning can be used in PE for the promotion of physical activity opportunities which occur beyond the PE classroom so we're not just taking into account the time that we have say in curriculum and um, physical education um, and, and the sort of things that we talk about in relation to the classroom space and that collaborative type of um, uh, teaching and learning is guided movement experiences so there are there are certain elements that we um, used from a generic perspective of flipped learning, but then also ones that we think tie in quite nicely for some of the goals um, and outcomes for physical education. Awesome. And and I like I like the way that the book is actually set up, that it's not a start from the beginning and re read all the way through the end to understand the concepts. Like, you've broken it up really well, and like if you want the history or the background of what flipped learning is, you start in the beginning, and then if you want to see how you can adapt it into your own classroom, you can go into the middle. And and so I um, I love that you set up the book in a way that you can read them in individual chapters. And I think that bodes well for using that in, in classroom settings as well at the university level of um, assigning certain chapters of reading for, uh, for different areas. So 
Um, but obviously with anything novel like this, like flipped learning, um, there are challenges. And so we, you kind of talk about these and maybe, maybe Chad, you can talk a little bit about this of what are kind of, kind of the challenges of using digital approaches like flipped learning in, in physical education. Yeah. So from Julia, the explanation, you can kind of see that, that integrating flipped learning might be a little bit more in depth than what students might be used to in terms of learning expectations, in terms of sort of even just using technology independently. Um, so one of the things I think teachers may find most challenging is, is and you have learning culture and establishing a culture of learning where students sort of expect uh, that, you know, there is content to learn. There there are things maybe outside of school to do. Um, take time to develop that. And, and, you know, I think it's chapter nine kind of give it, it ended up being a stairway. I don't think we intended it being sort of a hierarchy like that, but it gives pretty progressive, uh, um, sort of approach of, about starting small and sort of increasing towards what we call quote unquote ideal or more integrated. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the learning culture is the biggest piece and, and obviously if technology, um, and independent learning had been established prior to using it in physical education, as that was came to some of the studies I've done, um, it lays a bit of more of a burden on the teacher to help students actually know the technology first of all, but also be able to use it in a way that um to their own learning. Yeah. Julia? Yeah, and I think I think with lots of different um approaches that we might use within physical education, we've got that that almost that honeymoon period of innovation as well in that we're we're getting used to it. We're setting routines. And and I think one of the areas that we also talk about in the book is students' familiarity with homework, which may not be common practice. Um in physical education um, and so getting used to those different technologies those different online spaces uh, negotiating different policies and practices with, with, between the teacher and the learner so I think there are several um, aspects that are perhaps um, familiar to others who have tried different pedagogies different approaches um, but the, yeah as Chad said the the kind of the setting routines and that culture we we highlighted in the book as being something that we thought was particularly important. Yeah, and over. Yeah, I just want to add that I've done a fair amount of workshops like here in Norway on, on like how to use the approach and what, what I always like in the beginning I always get the why don't we just have something without technology in school as like the general perception of the use of technology among youth today is, is like really connected to sedentary behavior. It's like just entertainment or, or, or sitting around. So it takes a takes a shift, like thinking about this as a pedagogical approach more than just the use of digital technology. And then further also, a lot of teachers have like really low self-efficacy on using digital technology. So I think also the book brings forward, as Chad mentioned, it turned out to be a kind of a staircase, but it's like, it could give you like some glance to what this could be on different levels. So if you're just really novice, what could be like the first step? And you will like realize that it doesn't, it doesn't demand you being like an expert in, in making videos and stuff. So I really like the books. Like it, 
it, it divides more like in two parts. And I, and I really glad that Chad came along on this because he had like a good view on how to make this book also like really useful for, for, for in-service teachers. So where amongst I had more of this theoretical just mindset from, from writing this, this thesis. So I think it turned out to be good from both, uh, both sides. So do you think the yeah, some yeah. efficacy has increased because during the pandemic that we went online, or do you feel like certain things are easier to do? Like, like PE teachers now know how to teach like remote pandemic online PE, but they don't necessarily have this high self-efficacy to pull off what you're asking. And I, and I know Chad, we talked about this on, on the previous podcast as well, like Yes, they've gotten better at technology, but is it technology to teach pandemic online PE versus like flipped learning? Yeah, and flipped learning almost combined, well, it does combine for the online digital instruction, but there's also the base, base component. I think that's where a lot of teachers will experience challenges. How do, if, first of all, what do we put online? And, you know, we would suggest anytime you find yourself talking or introducing, talking a lot, introducing more complex demonstrations, gut and strategy. That's what you want to think about maybe being able to put online within a flipped, uh, a flipped, uh, learning experience. So, so where you find yourself talking a lot, throw that online, get, you know, get students involved in priming, uh, seeing what's coming. And then the challenge I think teachers will find is just not repeating that. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. if you repeat the direct instruction you put up online, it's sort of the purpose of flipped learning. You know, you want to be able to do, maybe just do a quick review and then identify ways where students can apply that. And so one of the unique things I think about this team is we all come from different perspectives. We're like Ove was, was saying, and, you know, being in the U.S. and having such terrible policy landscape. My perspective is like, can we please find something to get what we want? without relying on policymakers and administrators giving us an extra PE class or sending our PE demand. So my view of the value of flip learning is it, it opens up space for more skill practice opportunities during class. It opens yeah. up space for more MDPA, you know, if you want to call it that. Um, so by taking a lot of that direct instruction out of class, putting on the digital and then, you know, doing a quick review in theory, you should have more time for physical activity. But your question, I think that's where teachers will find challenge because it is a little bit more complex than just putting your content online, you know, and call it a day. Yeah. Julie? Yeah, and I think I think whilst the pandemic brought to the fore and, and perhaps forced us in many ways to to think about the home environments, what we're doing in the classroom space, I think where flip learning really does come into its own is that we've been talking about for a long time about the pedagogical use of technology and I think when you look at flipped learning and what it is how it structures and organizes the use of online technologies if you're wanting to use technology in a way that's meaningful and purposeful in terms of teaching and learning then flipped learning I think allows us to address some of those 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 things that we've been talking about for a long time about you know, can we use technology in a way that's pedagog- pedagogically meaningful? Can we structure our use of technology so that it has a purpose and that um, both teachers and learners understand the use, why we're doing it, etc. So 
it really aligns well with that pedagogies of technology mm-hmm. premise. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, Chad, you brought up this, uh, the policy, right? And in the U.S., and this may or may not be true for other countries, but there are, there are school districts that are literally saying you're not allowed to make homework mandatory. And it's been this like pendulum swinging the other way because students were doing four or five hours of homework just to keep up and they weren't, they weren't being kids outside. And, you know, if you didn't have the homework help from your parents or a tutor, you weren't able to finish your homework because you just got caught on the math problem or the science problem. And so they talked about it being an equity issue. So they literally have banned mandatory homework in, I mean, the school districts that I've worked at, and it's not across the U.S. It's not, you know, because we we have different state level decisions and local level decisions. But I mean, that's that's a big hindrance in and addressing flipped learning because you can't force kids to do it outside of the classroom. So I, I, I'm guessing that's a barrier, Chad. Well, yeah, and and it gets a bigger bigger issue. I think you sort of mentioned correctly on. Podcast is like schools are going to be requiring or integrating technology at play. Let's call it that. Like, I think that's a big or priority, at least in the U.S. Nationally, their teachers are going to use that, and and some of them might decide to use self learning or use asynchronous, you know, homework. Schools should be providing some time before and after school or during school for students to be able to engage in that homework. Yep. Uh, that serves twofold. Number one, for students that may not have devices or adequate Wi-Fi, they'll have a secure internet. They have a good device. They also have teachers that could support them or help them with technology or content issues. Number two is it reduces the homework burden. You're not, you know, when students leave, they, they were able to complete, you know, the work that they were assigned. Um, and I think there's another issue on top of that when we talk start talking about physical education is if we're promoting physical activity outside of the school or even requiring it in some cases, then then there needs to be some level of effort maybe to make community connection. Mm-hmm. If gyms or green spaces, there also should be, the schools need to be open for to be physically active right. before and after school um, if they're going to be requiring it. And so there, there's some downstream, I think big policy issues, because we've been promoting this a long time in the CISPAP model, but I think this gives us a little bit of incentive to kind of get some of those uh, components integrated because, like I said, if you're requiring students, you're promoting physical activity outside of school, then, and it's digital, then you need to provide time for digital engagement with a senior Wi Fi connection, but you also need to provide time for students to be active or accumulate those minutes or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Ove? Yeah, I just want to add uh, we, didn't, we didn't do like a whole chapter or like a specific part in the book on like fully digital PE and how the learning would look in that uh, environment. But that, I, I think that's my thesis. We just thrown out with ideas for the next revision that I need to look at on, on how to, to like find fruit the weight of using the learning in fully digital environment. But also there are a number of studies coming out as well now on how to use with learning without uh, doing homework, like more in class, face-to-face, on campus with models uh, like the ones we use in women life-saving education where the basic principle is, is addressing the time you spend in constructing. So 
you you look at like the iPad or your app like more of a digital scaffold where you as the teacher are free to to take more of a guiding role within class while the students in groups look at videos on how to dive, how to to manage pressure and the water and stuff. So we are also not just say that it, it had to be like in a form of homework, it could be during the school day mm-hmm. as well. So we, we don't define or, or say that what is flipped learning or what is the book that much. We, we do have some like guiding principles, but we are also open to like just trying to, to, map, to map out a framework for learning in PE and how, how digital technology could be used to, to, to enhance the, the outcome of the students and the people. Yeah. And Ovi mentioned uh, inherent in that is, is sort of a pivot towards more student-centered learning. And, and when that happened, sort of the role of the teacher evolved to more of a knowledge broker or a facilitator or, you know, a, a digital scaffold, you know, becomes more apparent within, you know, technology-based um, approaches. But that in some ways might be one of the challenges, you know, uh, getting back to that is, 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 you know, PE teachers like the front and center. I know I didn't, and a lot of us did when we were up there, but um, evolving to sort of a knowledge broker, I think, you know, within the digital can, can also help teachers overcome the technology barrier, find good videos on YouTube that give us appropriate demonstration, um, find, you know, apps that have quality instruction, and then you don't have to create it at least at the outset. Um, but I think this this pivot towards student centered learning is ultimately you know one of the benefits of of flipped learning. Yeah, and I think in the book you you use this phrase, um, getting the teacher to be a guide on the side versus a, a sage on the stage. Good rhyming, so it stuck in my brain right there. Um, let me. So we've talked about some barriers. Let's talk about one of the key components of your book, which are opportunities. So what do you feel like the potential of flipped learning is in changing the landscape of education or physical education specifically as we know it? And I, I think that this is to a more student-centered learning environment. Like just, you're so bound on this instruction from the big mind in physical education and that's the expectation. That's the expectation from, from parents, from, from students, from teachers, and just the lack of individualization. It just opens up the gate. It's like a gateway to both be able to individualize more and just change the focus on the subject being a subject of competence. It's not just coming to be told what to do and then do it and then go home without like connecting your brain to anything. So it's, yeah, it, I, I see it has like a multitude of opportunities. So, but I think one of those that could like make a major shift in just how we value and think about the subject yeah. then could be really beneficial through, through the learning. Yeah. Any other opportunities or the way that it looks like we can change it? Go ahead, Julia. Yeah, I think. Lots of the literature has talked about the different sites of learning in physical education. You know, we've got things like social media, um, you know, videos and things that people learn learn through in, in various different spaces and not, not always for benefit as well. Um, but 
we talk a lot about, as well about lifelong physical activity or you know being active beyond the school day and I think that's where flipped learning does come into its own in terms of the opportunities because we're talking about physical education beyond the boundaries of the classroom wherein we're talking about using online spaces we're talking about collaborative spaces we're talking about communities and family involvement and so we're really as, as Chad mentioned before embedding physical education and, and what that means within uh, the broader aspects of students and learners lives rather than just that smaller curriculum time and also appreciation that um, we, we spend a small proportion of our life at school um, and, and have physical education curriculum time but there are so many other spaces in which we might be physically active being physically educated and so flip learning allows us to tap into those spaces um, and really make the most of the educational benefit that's coming from them. Yeah. So are you... Yeah, I see it, I see it as, as an opportunity, like I mentioned before, to get what we want without sort of, you know, sort of independently as teachers and teams of teachers. So we've been pushing in the U.S. a lot for comprehensive school physical activity programming, and we just can't get a, a good anchor with the before and after school, especially. And then into the community is always a challenge because, you know, beyond, you know, telling the kids to do it at the end of the class, what is there? Within the flipped model, there's this digital that extends instruction outside of the school, like Julia mentioned. But I also think it puts policy pressure on schools to open up before and after. Because if we're assigning physical activity in the community, if we're requiring students to be physically active after, not every student has green space, not every student has a state neighborhood, not every student has access to appropriate facilities. So we wrote a little bit about this in the JTP article about online physical education piece, but I really think flipped learning can have the same support, um, provide pressure on schools mm -hmm. to, to start evolving policies um, in support of students. So I think that's my biggest piece. And, and that's why I love working with Julia and Ove is because they really grounded in the pedagogy and the learning and the motivation. Whereas I think my biggest push is like physical activity opportunities. Right. But there's more to pee than that. So. <laughs> yeah, and it worked out. So I'm wondering if you can kind of explain what does flipped learning look like in a PE setting? I know earlier in the in the book you talked about how some people might think like i might think as a pete professor that i assigned reading outside of class you need to read chapter two and then we're going to talk about chapter two in class and i'm now doing flipped learning which is not necessarily the way flipped learning is defined um so can you talk about what what would it look like in a physical education setting Bobe? yeah we have in one of the chapters behind like the cases that we present from from work we have done so uh and as you mentioned it, it doesn't have to be a video aside for homework it could be a podcast it could be text but what we know also from research is like the threshold for preparing it just it's much better in the format of a video than like if you assign like a chapter on during training from from a book so so the format of video seems to be like something that, well, you won't have everybody preparing, but that's not the case as well. But, but using video is like kind of typical and it, 
with this barrier lover, mm, more or less of the students will prepare, but it also like a, it, they need time to adapt to this kind of thinking as we've been, as we've been talking about. So you can't expect like the first pilot to try to assign a video before a class and everybody will love it, everybody will see it, and it will be like just this really great success. So what I tried in secondary school, well, I had like this unit of strength and endurance and coordination training. And having this unit, I always thought that my students, they should know more about this, but I didn't want to spend time in the gym just explaining how to train strength, what happens in your body when you gain strength, how is this connected to your health. Because students, when they come to the gym, they are just motivated for doing activity. They are not like they're just sit and listen. And if I just spent 10, 15, 30 minutes explaining stuff, they didn't bother to listen or they didn't learn. So I thought, well, I should have them learn about this before they come to class. And then we could like through practical activity, we could discuss it. I could have them like assigning groups, discussing different steps while, while doing it. And that's like the big difference. We don't need to think about learning as replacing stuff as you do in a more traditional or in some subject, for example, it's more about adding and extending in a PE setting. So that's one of the main like differences, I guess, from, from, from different subject context. So just when you find yourself feeling that it would be really useful if my students knew this before they can came to class, well, find a video explaining that, or just make a video or, or, or grab audio and have them listen to that. And then we know that what, what in some terms are called pre-reflection, it's just when, it, when students start to think about things they are going to learn if they want to think about it or not, it starts some, some process in their brain that is beneficial when they come to class. And if not everybody prepares, I often put students in groups and then I say, okay, you, if somebody has seen the video, try to explain to your peers who didn't see it. Right. And that seems also like an incentive to watch the video because students like also to demonstrate to be competent in PE settings. Other, um, other options there? Yeah, I think being able to think creatively about how to use the videos and what to use them for is, is also important. Um, one of the, the cases that Ove mentioned, I think are pretty valuable to just kind of show, you know, the different ways that, um, flip learning can be used in physical education class. One, one case involves a middle school physical education class. Uh, edit you the teaching gate for understanding approach. Um, and the way that teacher used the videos was, was you know, to provide some basic, you know, strategic instruction, but previewed the practice opportunities on video. So students could watch how they were going to practice or the small sided games that they were going to be participating in mm -hmm. during class. And so there was very little instruction at the beginning of the class, students just got into those formations. So the teacher wasn't standing up wasting time with students who already watched it or similar to what Ole was saying, but you could circulate through. And what ended up happening, and we did still fit observation, it was a reduction in management time. There was a reduction in large group instruction, but there was an increase in small group instruction. So you can get around to the different groups, yep. provide additional feedback for the dudes that didn't watch the video, yep. you know, which know going to happen 
but then you can start asking these questions, having these conversations about strategy and skills and, and so forth. The other thing I'm thinking is like, well, there's like six or seven minutes, a lot of these high school and middle school class coming out of the locker room. If you have an efficient video, kids have their cell phones. It's like, all right, you got changed. Watch the video. I already did. You know, I already did. Watch it again. Just so you know, mm -hmm. and it's in your head. So students yeah. are sort of occupied, you know, they can maybe talk about it or whatever, you know, that's idealistic, but you know, there is time at the beginning of these classes where students change to potentially, you know, engage with instruction. Mm -hmm. Is that ideal? No, but it also gives an extra effort to be able to survive. But I mean, you see a lot of, like, the, the yeah, you see a lot of the secondary schools, they're just literally walking at the slowest possible pace around for 10 minutes in those block periods. Whereas that time could have probably been better spent watching that, watching that video to prime that learning. So I'm wondering is any suggestion for somebody who's listening to this, they're, they're thinking about starting to explore flipped learning in their classroom. Um, obviously I would guide them towards the chapter that is titled that. Um, but Julia, can you kind of talk about, um, what suggestions you might have for people that want to start exploring this? Yeah, go and get the book. No, um, no. um so, so I think we, we talked about three main areas really. Um, the first one we said about was starting small. So by that, we mean a lesson, a few lessons. Um, and it also, as, as we've talked about today, might be drawing upon existing videos. You know, we're not expecting everybody to go out and have this whole setup and create these perfect instructional videos on lots of different topic areas. We're talking very small to start off with meaningful chunks that, that are also aiming for high quality. So we, we, we talk about starting small in terms of the scale of your use and, and aiming for high quality learning experiences rather than seeking to try and change too many variables at once. If you try and change too many things, then you're not going to be able to react, re reflect on what's, what's working. So, so that would be our sort of first step. We then talk about, um, using flipped learning in PE to extend what is experienced by students in the classroom rather than simply replicating it. So there may well be times when it is appropriate to replicate or go over something that you've experienced in the classroom. But when we're applying flipped learning in PE, we want to make sure that rather than repeat the same thing, that we're extending those learning opportunities. We're, make, we're making them relevant and meaningful um, and so if you're just simply replicating the content, then it's unlikely to have sort of any, any real impact. And then I think the final aspect of that was about, um, trying to, um, tr that trial sense of trial and error really, but also championing that culture change and, and the meaningful routine of, of using homework. Um, we know many students don't like homework they probably haven't experienced it before in PE and, and as we've discussed today you know homework can have various different restrictions on it um, but I think as educators we need to be the kind of champions and initiators of that change and if we don't buy into the processes that we're using that that be flip learning or something different then how do we expect our students to adopt it and and to you know really immerse themselves in it so that would be my sort of advice for for people getting started 
Thanks. Other um, other ideas there? Boba? I, I wanted to mention that now we're talking about the book, but we had this symposium just a, a week ago where Julia did a keynote based on the book. So I would also recommend, because now in our studio, we did a perfect job on, on, on editing everything. They are giving me all the presentations, including the keynote from Julia on the book. So uh, that will be online in on the webpage. So the research group, uh, so I also, besides listening to this podcast, it, she had some really good points throughout the keynote as well. So it, it, it's well worth having a look at that as well. Awesome. And I'll, and I'll put those uh, links to the research group in the show notes for people who are listening. Um, so I, I guess we, we talked about the barriers to adoption already throughout. I think we've kind of covered a lot of those. Um, I'm wondering if you want to, if you want to hit on an, other barriers or just ideas to kind of close out about what this book provides for readers, um, and any other, uh, topics that we haven't, we haven't covered before we close out. I think the book does a really good uh, job. Um, if I may say that, if I may say so like that, you know, um, yeah, we split up in opportunities and applications just sort of you know, circling back to the background because it is still emerging research, um, area. And it, it, there's a lot of evidence that, you know, we need to build upon. Um, and so opportunities, you know, the first five chapters, it different areas that people might be motivated to improve. I think, you know, we understand that different teachers are focused on different things. You know, we all look kids to be active, we all look to motivate, we all look kids to learn, but, um, but there's a chapter on outlet learning could and has shown in research improved student motivation, how it has improved cognitive learning, how it can allow for additional physical activity opportunities, uh, within PE class, but also beyond. Um, so we kind of hit different areas of where, you know, areas of improvement that teachers might seek. Um, but then we really try to slingshot it into to providing, you know, principles for implementation and then sort of, uh, I don't want to say it's step by step, but, but sort of an iterative approach to integrating it. Um, so I think we all put our practitioner hats on and our research hats on. It's like, well, what would I want to know about flip learning? Well, I want to know the value of it. Why should I even do this and where it has been shown? Uh, to improve where might I have been picked up though? So, you know, what are the barriers? What are the challenges? You know, if so I can predict that, how might I begin to do this? And, oh, I already have some experience. How might I be in to evolve and iterate towards higher application? Um, and then what's the process throughout? And we, we, you know, we've sort of hinted at this action research approach. We're all action researchers. Everybody's context different. Everybody's students are different. Everybody's policies are different. Um, and that's why, you know, what Ova and Julia were saying throughout is, is we didn't prescribe anything. Read the book if you're interested and, and make it your own. Um, there is value to it. There are ways to maybe make it a little bit easier on yourself um, or harder. <laughs> um, but we think it's a useful book for researchers and practitioners. Um, and we tried to make it that way. And so we didn't give us some feedback and we'll make it better next time. Uh, Julia, any other uh, final thoughts or... Yeah, 
Um, I think for listeners, you, you may have heard flip learning. You you may have um, heard about it. It's, it's used quite a lot within higher education and university settings, mainly because of the, the kind of the structure of learning in that space. Um, and and what what we we really found is that there wasn't really a a a home, let's say, of of bringing all of that research and those ideas, that practical experience together in one space, so that physical education and how it was applied in a physical education context came to the fore. You'll see a lot of it in different subject areas and different educational settings, but we weren't really seeing that. Um, focusing in on the areas of our of our subject of, of PE and so the, I think the book does a really good job of bringing this all together um, and bringing all our minds together to really lay out for for each educator in terms of how how we view it how they can use it and that that implementation journey um yeah so I, I I agree, and I and I I have seen like in the aftermath of the book that is, I, I'm just really happy that I didn't write anything on my own. It's just I just really feel that we come from quite different contexts and with quite different views, and it's just been really both a nice process. Even though we didn't meet at all, just through digital technology throughout the pandemic, we wrote this book. So that's also kind of special. We, we finally got to meet like uh, just a week ago just to celebrate it. <laughs> but it, I, I think it, it it could be a book that could apply to a very variety of concepts just because we come from so different concepts. And that's, well, that's also one of the aims of the book is like to have more or less like a global view on this so that it's open for interpretation that you can imagine, like, how can I adapt this to my context? And I hope that was at least one of the goals on the book, but just like to, to map out this framework for you to, to familiarize, familiarize with and try to, to make useful in your context as a PE teacher, if that is in higher education, in any teacher education, or if this is like primary school PE. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks to all three of you for coming on. I think you've shared a lot. Um, I, I will put a link to the Routledge website where people can purchase the book if they're interested. Um, another avenue for this um, is also if you are at a university uh, to ask your university to purchase the book. I mean, I got this before you probably got your hard copies mailed. Um, our, our library at Mason is amazing. They subscribe to the Routledge books so I'm always able to get these as as um, uh, ebooks right away so your library might all already have it and if they don't you can also ask and they'll um, most likely get a copy so um, awesome book I really appreciate your time um, and thanks for thanks for coming up thanks thanks